Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to another episode of Undying Light. This is now episode three of our mini phase, if you would, of the Eschatology series. So I kind of broke it up into a few different phases. We've done the first phase, which covered heaven, hell, and death. And then the next phase is covering the four views, um, looking just more or less of the construction of how they are put forward. I, I don't know if I quite made it clear when I recorded the dispensational premillennialist and the um, historical premillennialist, but uh, I'm going to kind of cover some of those in this uh, episode before I get into the heart of this one. Today's episode is going to be post-millennialist, and the next week we will talk uh, an a millennialist view, and we have a special guest who will come on and uh, talk with us on why he is an a millennialist, and he uh, breaks down his views. And uh, I really am excited to bring that episode forward for you guys. So, thus far, we've had some great guests. We had Anthony, who is uh, I, I run a matter of truth with him. He joined me for heaven. We had the Bible dingers on for hell, which they did a tremendous job. Those guys were just amazing. They did a ton of homework, and they put together a great episode. And we talked through the three views uh, of hell, and we just kind of expounded those, dug into them, looked at supporting evidence and objections to both. We looked at a ton of scripture, uh, so an absolutely fantastic episode. So, before I do my house cleaning that I always do, uh, a couple things I wanted to mention. With these four views, there, uh, there's a lot of scripture, and there's a lot of history to these views. There's a lot of prominent theologians that kind of fit into each category 
and there's they go beyond just a simple understanding of uh, you know what I'm expounding in these episodes. So, what my advice is is simply this: take these episodes as a basic understanding of what the views believe and what scriptures they use to build those foundations. And I want you to take that and then go further into studies. Eschatology isn't a um, simple thought process, if you would. I mean, it's not a, it's not just something that a single episode can really uh, fully bake out. I mean, you, you, you can't bake the full pie in these episodes, uh, mainly because it's just the, the complexity is just there. As with any theology or any sort of doctrine, right? Anytime we start to unpack this kind of thing, uh, it gets really deep. And that's why after I do these four episodes, I want to go through scripture, Old Testament. I want to go through the Gospels. We're going to look at Pauline eschatological views. And then we're going to look at Revelation. So in that, then we will really start to unpack uh, scripture. And we'll look at it from all of the different views, right? When we get to like something in Daniel, are we going to, uh, how would a dispensational premillennialist use some of these texts to, um, to build a foundation upon for their view? That's the type of thing we're going to really unpack in scripture. So these episodes, like I said, are strictly just for uh, a, a basic understanding of what the belief is. These are not in-depth, you know, hours-long conversations, um, but they are just for me to help you understand, wow, okay, now that makes more sense. I can see where they come from. You know, a, a premillennialist may, may see the end of times in this type of a landscape, the post-millennialist looks at it in this landscape, and the amillennialist looks at it in this landscape. So we should also understand, too, that through these particular views, uh, they are simply a view of where and how uh, they uh, understand the millennial reign, the 1,000-year reign of Christ. We should also clarify this isn't just an understanding of that. It's all of the events that center around that. Because that is one of the probably... I mean, the millennial reign is the like heated debate field, if you would. That's the battlefield in uh, eschatology. It's what actually is the right view of it. Is it a literal thousand years? Uh, is it a metaphorical thousand years? Is it uh, 2,000 years? Does it happen? You know, when does it really happen? Does does the rapture happen before or after? Is there a rapture, you know, inside this millennial reign? So all of these questions are really centered around our understanding of this thousand year reign that Revelation speaks of. So that's, again, just some hopefully clarifying pieces before we get into the post-millennial view of eschatology. Uh, I just want to make sure that, you know, if you came into this 
thinking you're going to get this elaborate book worth of notes or deep, in-depth study, I don't want you to be disappointed, but I want you to really just start to understand um, the foundation and the premise of what these views are. Because these, again, are the setup for what we are going to get into when we get into the scripture. I feel the scripture study is going to be kind of the meat and potatoes of this whole uh, end of times series. That is where we are going to really start to unpack all of it. So let us just examine scripture as it is. We will take a look and perhaps start to understand and see what these views are at a more in-depth level, and we will start to build upon those further as we dig into what the actual text says. So, with all that hopefully built into our minds now, let us start to um, get into the meat of the series. Let's look at what post-millennialism is, and just to start to, again, understand what it is and why it differs from the premillennialist views. How does it differ from the amillennialist view? Because each of them, obviously, are all different. So scripture will help us, and we'll look at scripture, obviously, as we have in the prior episodes. But we will start to utilize this uh, further again as we journey through the scripture portion of this. So just some house cleaning stuff as I tip my water over while I record. Um, some things that are coming up, we have the um, Logos Bible software promo that's always running. You can check out Logos and get yourself a fantastic Bible software at logos.com forward slash undying light. So make sure you check that out. The second thing I want to remind you of is the patrons site. So if you want to uh, help support this ministry, you want to help uh, us build this ministry, grow this ministry, cultivate this ministry, be a part of it, and get some cool, hopefully cool, I mean, I, I, I... I enjoy doing this kind of stuff for them, so, and, and I know that they love it because they get sneak peeks at all this stuff. So I just kind of want to give you guys uh, some things, some sneak peeks at what I do for my patrons. Um, and please, if you hear my daughter in the background, don't mind her. She's just watching her TV show and having a blast. So uh, some of the stuff that I do for my patrons, um, when I drop these episodes on Friday morning... They would get them a week in advance, so you could hear it uh, on a Monday morning. It's usually when I have them prepped and loaded for them. Uh, they also get uh, usually a week uh, or at least a handful of days in advance to listen to my, my last recorded sermon. So as I record this today, I preached yesterday, so they have all had the opportunity to listen to my sermon and then that sermon then will be uploaded to my YouTube page probably Wednesday or something in the middle of the week. So I give them the first chance to listen to it. Uh, other things we do is private giveaway. So I have, uh, as I record this, I'm waiting on a book shipment. Uh, I have the Charles Hodges Systematic set coming. 
and I'm going to give it away to one of my patrons just to show my gratitude and thanks for what they've done for me. Um, they get first-hand grabs at some of the merchandise that I have. So I have a store, technically a store if you would, open that you can actually buy Undying Light t-shirts and sweatshirts and tank tops. So um, probably by the time this episode airs, this will be actually made available to the general public, but they had first dibs, so I gave them 14 days to check it out and, and order some stuff that they wanted beforehand. So, beyond that, you know, we have Instagram chat set up that we can chat with each other throughout the day, pray for each other, and just live life and praise God through all of the ups and downs that come through, you know, being a Christian. So, a lot of that kind of stuff. And obviously, like I said, they get first glimpse at any of the schoolwork that I do, things that I don't show on social media, um, which would be mostly of um, aimed at my schoolwork, because I'll be taking hermeneutics and a class on the Holy Spirit. So a lot of that work I won't publish to uh, any page, just for the sheer fact of obviously doing it. But so, but they'll get to see that kind of thing, and. So I try to do as much as I can to give back to them for what they've done to give to me to help keep this ministry going. So, Because it does cost money to host a podcast and uh, have the tools in place to do all of the things that I do on social media from creating the um, posts that I make through the, uh, the, the different apps that I have, uh, obviously sponsoring and hosting the website, um, the podcast hosting also costs money as well. So a dollar a month gets you access to all of that. Some people give more, some people only give a dollar. I am blessed for all sorts of that. So if you decide that you want to, you can go and check us out. My The link is in the uh, my bio, Reformed underscore lifestyle so the other thing too is is if you do listen to these and you find that they are edifying please subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform if it's on spotify follow it if it's on itunes subscribe to it so you can get weekly updates when i drop the episodes do the same for a matter of truth as well uh, anthony and i have gone uh and done an extensive amount of work to grow that episode we don't have a, se- a separate page for it like um, but we, we promote it from our own individual pages, but we've had some fantastic guests on there. We've had a couple people who have experienced uh, some charismatic ministries. We've had Doreen Virtue on there, and we've answered questions. That's kind of the premise of the show is interviews and questions, things like that. So check out A Matter of Truth. Subscribe to both of the podcasts that I manage and, and co-host. And if you would be so kind leave reviews, let me know what your thoughts are on both. If you have, you know, even complaints, I'm, you know what, if you don't like this, give me a one star, totally fine. I've got tough skin. I can deal with it, but it would be an honor and a blessing if you would do so, because that is what helps make this ministry grow. A lot of it is word of mouth. Uh, I can only do so much in terms of the promoting because really I, for Undying Light, and the Reform Lifestyle Instagram page, I'm a one-man wrecking crew. So I could use all the help I could get. And I love you guys. So I really do appreciate all the, the love and support you have shown me. 
over the last couple of years as we have uh, grown this ministry into what it is today. And I know we still have a lot more to go. So with all of that being said, we have the hot topic of the day. And that is the post-millennialist view. So when we look at the, this particular view, um, a couple of things that we have to understand is how it differs from the premillennialist view. Now, I covered that, the, the dispensational and the historical view on two separate episodes. I looked at how the, they are related, and then I talked about how they are um, in similarities in terms of where they think the rapture happens, where Christ returns, what does the millennial reign look like, and how do they interpret scripture. The interpretation is key to understanding all of eschatology. You, whatever your hermeneutics is, that is what is going to drive your understanding and view of the end of times. Just plain and simple. If you are a dispensationalist believer, then that's going to drive you to think more of a dispensational premillennialist view. If you are fall into a covenantal standpoint, then you'll probably end up looking at more a post-millennialist or an amillennialist view of eschatology. So your hermeneutics constitutes everything, right? Because that's how you understand and interpret the text. And we talk a lot actually about that in the amillennialist uh, episode with my uh, guest. He comes on, uh, he's a pastor in Brooklyn, so I will um, introduce him on that show. And uh, I think you guys will be greatly imp uh, impressed with that. I was, I, I loved the show so much. I'm, I can't wait to do the editing and listen to it again because I got so much out of it and I, his knowledge and his way to explain it would just blew my mind. So anyways, without further ado, let's look at what the post-millennialist understands. So again, these are just a um, I, I want to take this at a kind of a high level so we can just paint this picture so I can help you to understand what it looks like. So the post-millennialist believes that the millennial reign is not a physical, literal thousand years. It's more of an era. It's a time period. So they view it to occur between when Christ will, uh, during of which Christ will reign over the earth. Uh, not from a literal or earthly throne, but through the gradual increase of the gospel and its power to change lives. And so after the gradual crystallization of the world, Christ will return and immediately usher in the church into the eternal state. And uh, this obviously happens after he judges the wicked. Uh, this is called the post-millennialist view because... Christ returns after the millennium. The premillennialist, whether it's historical or dispensational, believe that Christ returns before the millennial view, uh, reign, time period. 
So that's the big major difference in those three camps. The amillennialist view is a post is, is similar to the post, but they don't view everything in the the light of the thousand year reign. So again, stay tuned for that episode as we break all that down and, and help to unhash that for you. So just some features and distinctions, and then I will kind of cover what the views and of their unfolding of events, if you would. So this view, as I said just a few minutes ago, is a favored interpretation of the covenant historical position. Uh, if you do not look at scripture in a dispensational light, then this is probably going to be the piece of the pie that you're going to want to take. This is your this is your apple pie. <laughs> I don't know really where what an analogy to describe it as, but because um, like I said, if you're a dispensational, you're going to fall into the the premillennialist view because you're looking at scripture from a more literal perspective. That's understanding uh, the the prophecies in a literal fashion versus um, the analogy or possibly a descriptive term or maybe even an underlying meaning that the covenantal will understand scripture as. Um, so they, again, they view Israel. This is the post-millennialist view, views Israel and the church. The church is the ultimate fulfillment of Israel. The kingdom of God is a spiritual entity experienced on earth through the crystallizing effect of the gospel, and they see the millennial, the millennium, as a golden age previous to the second coming of Christ, during which Christ will virtually rule over the whole earth through the unprecedented spread of the gospel. A large majority of people will become Christian in this time period. So a couple big names here that uh, I've I at least recognize uh, Greg uh, Banson, Kenneth Gentry, Gary North are some proponents. Also, interestingly enough, um, John Calvin, Jonathan Edwards, George Whitfield, Doug, Douglas Wilson, some other proponents to that view, right? So this uh, post-millennialist view, if we start to understand kind of when it came about uh, really was right around the time of the Reformation. So this was when they start to understand um, the gospel a little bit more. Obviously, we're taking it back from the reigns of the Catholic Church. Uh, now, another thing to understand, too, is during the early church up through the Revolu Re uh, Reformation, the most accepted view through that time frame was the amillennialist view. So most of the early church fathers up until the Reformation were amillennialist. Then during the Reformation, the post-millennialist view started to take a hold. And then as we start to progress into time, then the uh, premillennialist view uh, becomes a proponent as well in the understanding of how the end of times unfolds. So as we look at this timeline, um, 
there's five big features here. There's the millennial reign, the second coming of Christ, a general resurrection, and then a general judgment, and then the introduction of heaven and hell in their fullness. So the final heaven and hell uh, is the final piece to this uh, viewpoint. So an, an interesting note about the post-millennialist view, after we kind of went through the, those five key time frame pieces, uh, is how it is set apart from the other two, the premillennialist and the amillennialist. Uh, it's set apart by its essential optimism for the kingdom of God in this present age. It holds an, an optimistical confidence that the world nations will become disciples of Christ and that the church will grow to fill the earth and that Christianity become dominant principle rather than the exception to the rule. A quote from B.B. Warfield explains that post-millennialists interpret the whole meaning of the vision in Revelation 19. Uh, these are verses 11 through 21 as Christ coming forth not just to war but to victory in every detail of the picture is laid out with a view precisely to emphasize the thoroughness of this victory. And he writes that in a book called The Millennium and the Apocalypse, Biblical Doctrines. Uh, so if you're more interested in what B.B. Warfield has to write, I would highly recommend grabbing that book. So a couple of uh, synapses. So let's kind of look through and, and go through what they um, believe. So um, I've in this series I've looked at uh, a number of websites to help me kind of formulate my understanding a little bit better. Um, Blue Letter Bible is a great website because it helps break down these four views and just gives us a very simple and thorough walkthrough, if you would, of how these are kind of laid out, how the events of the uh, are kind of put together, and what scriptures use. So uh, it's a good website to use. It's great for looking at sermons and other uh, doctrinal pieces, so I highly recommend it. So the synapsis, um, there's several different versions of the post-millennialist view, but the ones gaining the most popularity, the ominist. Now, generally speaking, this post-millennial theonomalist viewpoint holds to a partial preterist interpretation of Revelation. Interestingly enough, R.C. Sproul held to this view as well, which I did not mention him earlier in the long list of proponents to this, but R.C. Sproul was a partial preterist and a post-millennialist as well. Uh, he actually wrote a really good book that I'm going to go through and utilize, um, The Last Days According to Jesus, so uh, that'll be a book when we get to the gospel section that I'm going to use as a resource. Uh, I believe R.C. was a rather intelligent individual, uh, absolutely brilliant individual, and I hope that uh, we will see how he unpacks his arguments in that book. So as we start to understand how they interpret Revelation, um, basically they believe that some of the prophecies were fulfilled in 70 A.D., with the destruction of the temple. That's why they're called partial preterist. A full preterist 
is one that believes that all of the prophecies that Revelation carries forward have already been fulfilled in some fashion. So partial preterist uh, believes only some of them were fulfilled with the destruction of the temple in AD 70. So moving along, so they see this millennial kingdom as the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham that he would become a great nation and that all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through him as they look at Genesis 12, verses 2 and 3. This holy reign will come about via a gradual conversion. So rather than a premillennialist cataclysmic Christological advent where Christ comes back and just you know, right after the tribulation, there's seven years of destruction and mayhem on earth. Um, prior to the seven years, the church is raptured up. That's the dispensational view. Um, the post-millennialist uh, looks at the this time frame, in fact, as a means of where we are to spread the gospel. Uh, and it's an incremental process. I'm sorry, progress is drawn from many pictures found throughout Scripture, a couple of them cited from Deuteronomy and Ezekiel. The optimism for this is also nurtured through uh, some of the prophetic psalms, um, speaking to all of the nations that fear him, salvation being made among all, uh, being known among all the nations, uh, the ends of the earth fearing him. So there's a ton of psalms, 21. I'm sorry, Psalms 2, verses 1 through 12, Psalm 22, Psalm 67, 105, and 110. Uh, and then another passage that feeds into the earthly optimism is Isaiah 2, uh, which means that the nations will stream to the righteousness of God. So basically what it looks like in this view is the post-millennial will start to build upon it's the expansion of the gospel um, that is the build up to the end of times so that's kind of its um, gradual step if you would so they don't believe the kingdom of god is going to arrive instantaneously or wholly at the end of age um, as a premillennialist would uh, rather they in their very name uh, a test which is post they hold that Christ will only will only return after the kingdom has come to its fullness so this quote-unquote arrival of a kingdom is thus a gradual one as I've kind of uh, started to unpack this uh, and is brought about by the slow yet steady advancement of the gospel until eventually the world's population comes to know and convert to Christ so it's not a matter of time frame. There's no uh, end point, but they do kind of put this view that once the world knows, then the end of times will truly begin. So they're kind of a precursor to it. We're technically in the end of times now because we obviously know that once Christ ascended to the point that Christ returns, this is all the end of times we just don't understand or know all of the finer details of what the events and when the events will take place however we do know that we are at some juncture so the post-millennialist will hold to this understanding that uh, as the gospel is going out into the world 
this is kind of the precursor, the buildup to the end of times. So as we are evangelizing to the nations, to the lost, and we are planting the seed, and somebody else comes along and waters the seed, as uh, people are converted to Christ, this is what it means is the steady advancement of the gospel. Once that the right number or once all of the people who God has called to be his own have converted to Christ, have uh, then this will be the kickoff, if you would, into the end of times. So some things to kind of look at in uh, understanding of this particular view as we continue on. So one of the intra interesting pieces that I found um, is in the post-millennial view is how they understand that with the advancement of the gospel, you will see a reduction of evil. Sadly, I feel, at least in today's current environment, we couldn't be further from that particular reality. Uh, anybody can turn on the news and see that there are riots and looting going on in all uh, major democratically-ran cities here in the United States. There's protests and rioting happening around the world. There's just, it is, it seems to be a, a, a different type of age, right? We, the world we knew 20 years ago isn't the world we know today. However, we would say the same thing 20 years ago. Uh, the evil, I feel, just becomes more in your face as technology becomes more instantaneous. We can now watch people literally committing crimes, whether it's shooting somebody, and it's instantly around the world within a matter of minutes. But in this post-millennialist view, as the gospel goes out into the world and people are converted to Christ and the more people come to Christ, then they start to understand that uh, evil will be reduced. The less evil in the world, the greater the triumph of the church in preaching the gospel and discipling the nations through the supernatural agency of the Holy Spirit. So it's an interesting piece. I just, at least as I, again, as I'm reading through all my notes, and as I'm looking at all these views, uh, I just feel like at least in this particular time frame, and maybe if we unpack the post-millennialist view further uh, as we get into more scripture, um, we will start to see how that can have been relevant as the gospel is going out into the world. Maybe the evil that it's pinpointing isn't the evil of the world, but it's the evil of the converted Christian. The reduction of the Christian himself sinning and committing evil acts, whether it's a physical or mental or spiritual evil act. So that could be one particular point that this view kind of goes after. Um, because if we look at kind of the history of mankind, sin has always been present and especially within the reprobate those who are unconverted those who are the sinner uh, they will continue to sin and it doesn't matter what that sin is they will just continue to do it so uh, i can see and understand that the reduction of evil could be because um, the christian is converted so once a person's converted their level of evil whether it's 
you know, whatever their flavor of sin is, is reduced to nothing uh, or in itself killed away because of now they are righteous in Christ and they have moved away from their sin, that could be the view of how evil is reduced. So just one of these perspectives is I'm kind of trying to think through this and trying to understand how they would answer these questions logically. And another thing too, when we start to look at all these end times views, um, these are very, they're logical explanations or even a philosophical explanation to trying to put together this bigger picture of how the end of times is going to um, unfold. So uh, as we start to look at it, I mentioned this earlier. Uh, I just kind of want to clarify it. One of the pros is um, the optimism for the post-millennialist view that it has for the kingdom of God in this present age. So as I was saying that it is the advancement of the gospel, that is where it gets its bread and butter. That is its um, pro. One of the cons to the post-millennialist view is how it minimizes one of the characteristics of the church. That is uh, the Christian's suffering with Christ. So they hold to such a high level of optimism with um, the, the gospel being pressed out into the world, the, the reduction of evil, but Paul makes it very clear that in Scripture that we will encounter persecution. Uh, in Romans, in fact, he tells us to bless our persecutors. And so as he suffers, we suffer, right? As Christ suffers, we suffer. So this is a interesting approach that the post-millennialist takes in terms of being more optimistic on how, uh, with the gospel going out into the world, its reduction of evil, and it's supposed to you know bring comfort, if you would, to the believer. However, we know as Christians that that's not always the case. We still experience life, and through that we experience suffering because. People are going to hate us. That is truth. So I, I really see that this is kind of a major con in my eyes as I'm just, again, trying to understand and unpack this particular view. And I, I really want to make sure that I uh, address myself properly um, in terms of how we start to build upon these views. So the con is an interesting one because it highlights something that the pro seems to sweep under the rug. So a few things um, that I wanted to kind of highlight as we look towards the end of this episode um, is some of the history that surround it. So uh, post-millennialist was really inspired by some of the inerrant flaws that the amillennialists have, uh, which very much informed by the culture of its time, the philosophical and technological advances of the early 18th century. The Industrial Revolution, which began shortly after, seems to validate the optimism in, uh, and humanism of the post-millennialist. This defining tenet of belief is that Jesus will not return until after a peaceful millennial kingdom has established. So the interesting thing is, is as the world starts to advance in technology, 
as we become more, if you would, intelligent creatures, and I use that in air quotes, as this world starts to develop, the gospel is able to be spread because now we can print the Bible. The world can now know Christ. It's that is the push forward, right? So now all of a sudden this viewpoint makes sense because we can reach the lost quicker. So they both the pre the postmillennialists and the amillennialists both believe that the church has superseded Israel's role in God's plan, uh, and they teach that the reign of Christ in the millennial kingdom is purely spiritual. It's in the hearts of his followers. So this time frame is also similar in that Christ will return only at the end of days and that the physical resurrection and judgments will take place immediately after this. Um, but where the amillennialist has a somewhat realistic view of the fallen human nature, a postmillennialist teaches that the reign of Christ in the hearts of his followers will naturally develop into a world that is characterized by the biblical behavior um, and the desire to follow God. So interesting that with this golden age that is um, powered by Christ, it's the church's responsibility to bring this all into fruition, right? The believers must go out and cultivate this, and it's up to us. So it's one of those things that if we decide to take our time and reach in the lost, then it seems like we control when, in fact, Christ will return. I, that kind of seems like this whole framework of this particular view is that the believer, the church, now has the ability to control this. I, I don't know, maybe I'm looking into it too deep, but like I said on a prior episode, I, I don't want to input my biased opinion into these views. I'm just bringing forward how they um, view things and explain things. So it just, it's, it is, it's definitely interesting now that we start to really kind of unpack this um, because it's the, in the post-millennialist view, uh, it's up to us to cultivate a peaceful society. It's up to us to utilize technology uh, at our that are in a, in our hands to further the kingdom, and it's really up to the church then to usher in the end of times. And by church, I mean believers as a whole. It's not up to me individually, but it's up to the church as a whole to reach the lost. So by sending missionaries out into uh, those who have never heard of Christ or into just the general world, people in our backyards, our neighbors, our family members, preach Christ. And as we do that, that is what is ushering in the end of times. Uh, so again, there's a lot of interesting concepts with how this is viewed. Uh, with the premillennialist, we have the rapture, we have the millennial reign, and then we have the second advent, which is the second coming of Christ. With the post-millennialist, we have this church life, we have the church history. Then we have the millennial, which is the church advancing the gospel into the world. Then we have the second advent. Then we have eternity. And that is really how the second coming of Christ will come through, is by the church advancing 
the doctrine into the world. So that is basically post-millennialism in a nutshell. Again, uh, it, we looked at some scripture and how it understands its views and the way the church operates. We looked at some of the Psalms that it comes from. We looked, looked at Isaiah, uh, Revelation 19, obviously. That's kind of the big hanging point for all of these um, verses. And uh, viewpoints comes in out of Revelation 19 through 21. So, again, I, I, as I said in the beginning of the show, I really am just utilizing these episodes to paint the picture of what they believe. And then as we get into the scripture, to the Old Testament and all that, and go through the New Testament, uh, then we'll see how some of these viewpoints can use these scriptures as a, I can call it a jumping off point, or use them as a foundation and start to cultivate their belief system via their interpretation, their hermeneutics of scripture. So each episode we've talked about scripture and gone and looked at scripture, but then as we get into the scripture, then we can start to say, well, you know, a dispensational may understand it in this way. The post-millennialist will understand it in this way. And so we will spend a lot of time going through scripture um, to really cultivate this understanding of what it means. So as we go through the rest of the scripture again, that's what we're going to aim at. So we have a lot on our table, a lot on our plate, and I hope to live up to that expectation again uh, I just want this these episodes to paint the picture because there's a lot of sites that talk about it and there's a lot of sites and a lot of podcasts that go over it again I want to just make these easy to understand a very complex system and I really want to try to paint the picture for you that you can listen to this and say oh well I, I understand it now that makes more sense to me Versus reading these six websites and it's like, oh, this seems, you know, why does this one say this? But then over here, oh, but then down here it says this and oh, this interpret, you know, you get a lot of conflicting data. And again, you know, I may not even be 100% right. So you're more than welcome to fact check me. And if I say something wrong, correct me and I will come back on and, and you know, speak against my mistake. Because by all means... I am not perfect, so I could definitely get some of this stuff wrong. This is not an easy topic for anybody to deal with. You know, some of the greatest theologians have written, you know, you know, books and books and books on this subject, and they, you know, get rebuked and rebuttaled by other people because it doesn't fit a certain viewpoint of somebody else. So. You know, as we unpack these, we have to look at what all of it is coming from, you know, the different perspectives. We have to understand and respect that the dispensational views, um, you know, come from a literal interpretation. The post-millennialist and the amillennialist come from a covenantal uh, interpretation of scripture. And can we say that either is right or wrong? It's just solely based on your hermeneutics, which may change, adapt, grow, deepen over time. And it just comes from reading and studying, studying scripture. And so that is what I always advocate people to do is open your Bible and dig into scripture. Get a good commentary, 
get a good study Bible and get into the Bible and read it. There are plenty of great books out there. There's plenty of great commentaries on Revelation, on Daniel, on Ezekiel, even Isaiah, um, on you know the Gospels. There's great commentaries out there that will explain you know the text from again that person's hermeneutical understanding of the text. So if you're dispensational, there's plenty of great authors out there that do it. And there's even people who have written on all the views from a non-biased perspective because they don't necessarily hold to any view. So they just went through, okay, this is what I see in this text and this text, and this is how the dispensational understands it. This is how the covenantal perspective handles it. And they just speak it from a non-biased perspective. So there's plenty of good books out there. Um, in, in these show notes, I'm going to put in one of the books that I've looked at, and uh, I have it in my logos. I think it's really good. It's a deep study into the different views, and uh, I hope that you can get your hands on it and read through it. So, And again, when we get to the New Testament, we're going to look at R.C.'s book on uh, the last days according to Jesus. And we're going to understand it, you know, from probably more of a post-millennialist perspective, uh, because that's where our seed comes from. So, but that's one of the resources that I'm going to use. I'm going to try to grab a secondary one, too, to, you know, showcase maybe the dispensational understanding of it better. So, ladies and gentlemen, this is the post-millennialist episode, and I hope everybody gets what they are seeking out of this series. Again, I want to do what I can to help build this understanding. I want to help encourage you to grow and learn, and I want you to be edified as we start to uncover what does this look like in the end of times. And it's not a it's not a series of which of these is right, therefore go and believe that. This is a this is what these these beliefs are, go therefore and study them further. And whatever you come to, whatever conclusion you come to, that is perfectly fine. That is between you and God. So, ladies and gentlemen, I hope this was helpful understanding these views. The Amillennialist episode is a little bit different. I have Pastor Chris from Brooklyn, and he goes over why he believes that the amillennialist view is the correct view. So uh, it's a different take than what I've kind of done with these other three where I've explained them and how they fit into the viewpoints. I do ask them some questions that kind of gear towards that layout, but he really uh, is quite a, a, a educated and intelligent individual. And so I hope you guys will really enjoy that episode. So can't wait for that to air but ladies and gentlemen please by all means let me know your thoughts on these if you again I, I said in one of the recordings that if you want me to take a deeper look at any of these four views because what I'll do is I'll do a poll so if you want me to go deeper we will pick a uh, at, uh, you know the winner and then we'll do a real deep stop a deep dive into that particular view looking at scripture and how they just kind of go through all of scripture to um, justify their position we can do that for any of the four so that'll be kind of the end of this series type thing so 
That's it for me today, guys. I hope this was a good episode, that you were edified through this episode, and I hope um, that you get something out of it. Because I know I have. It helps me understand as I've gone through and looked at um, countless resources and started to really formulate uh, my understanding. And I I hope as we get into the scriptural studies next uh, that we can actually start to put some some of the meat onto the table now. So that's it for me, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Thank you so much for tuning in, and we will see you next week. God bless. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.